Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Somehow, God is in me, and there's a sense in which I am like God and man all at once. Many religions claim that we will all eventually be gods. The Bible says something so much better. It says, no, God will continue to be God. Man will continue to be man, but God will come upon man. No way! It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Let's go talk about the book we all read. You know they're dangerous. Take a look, it's in a book. So many books, so little time. That's because the opener is so long. This is Wretched Radio. I was downright giddy. That's right. I said giddy when I opened up a package in the mail. Apparently, people still use that service. <laughs> I didn't know I was a little bit bummed that it didn't have a stamp of Ruth Bader Ginsburg attached to it. Nevertheless, when I opened up its contents, I was downright giddy. Why? It was a new book from an author from whom I have benefited much. His book, Reprobation and the Sovereignty of God, was a super fine treatment of theodicy. How do we harmonize the benevolent, good character and nature of God with really awful stuff in the world. Uh, Peter Sammons, I thought, did a bang-up job in a very helpful and accessible kind of way. So when I opened up the new book, I was downright giddy. It's called The Forgotten Attributes of God, God's Nature and Why It Matters. Now, I will confess to you, I liked the book. The letter that he sent with it... Please note, he's a seminary professor at the Master Seminary. Todd, I hope you're doing well. It's been a long time since we last spoke. Wasn't that long. I saw him out there at the Master's Academy <laughs> Internet. Nevertheless, I'm honored you're willing to take a look at my most recent book. Well, he's wrong about that. It's certainly not an honor. Nevertheless, I pray it will be fruitful for you personally. I know I've benefited. Here it comes. I benefited from Wretched since I was in high school. <laughs> Once I got past the letter and the hurt, I was downright giddy to read the forgotten attributes of God, which they shouldn't be. Why? Because if we're preaching through the Bible, line by line, verse by verse, you're going to run into these attributes. That's the problem with topical preaching as the full diet of a church, on occasion, they're actually needed and appropriate. But if that is the totality of the presentations that are being given from the pulpit, people are never going to hear about these attributes of God. There was one in here, Jimmy, I had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. Uh. Pure actuality. Go. What's pure actuality? I think that was kind of a... a, a, a <laughs> One of those songs, one of those perky songs from the 80s, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> That's what I'm going It's a pure energy. Nevertheless, pure actuality. Do you have any idea what it is? Have no clue. Uh-huh. Simplicity, eternality, immutability, impassibility, the omnis, of course, incomprehensibility, aseity, all attributes that Dr. Peter Sammons, unfortunately, is right in identifying. And it is a loss to us because if we don't, study as best we can the character and the nature of God, 
I think that it doesn't do what, what some of the watered-down topical preachers hope that their preaching will do. Perhaps their best motive is, we just want people to feel good. They're sad, they're blue, they don't know what to do. Jimmy, I think I've got the beginning of a worship song right there. <laughs> so let's give them a Toy Story sermon series in hopes that it'll make them feel better. It doesn't, it can't. But when you preach about this high and lofty being that runs the universe, and then we don't stop there because it's just fine to study the lofty attributes of God. Some of these incomprehensible, at least to a degree, incomprehensible components. I hate that word because God isn't put together in parts. That would be your doctrine of simplicity. Nevertheless, if we just leave it there, well, then we certainly have become whiz-bang theologians, haven't we? We can talk about pure energy. Oh, wait a second. Pure actuality. I think I know the song actually better than... That particular attribute, what must we do with this knowledge? Not let it sit there. Read a quote from John Owens. Have been working like a nobody's business on my latest book, which I look forward to sending to Peter. I'm glad you whippersnappers <laughs> still listen to radio and such. Working on this book and trying to find the balance in focus focusing on the love of God. In fact, even as I say focus on the love of God, I find that sentence problematic. Why? Because if you just focus on an attribute, you're going to get out of whack. You're, you're going to get out of joint. And that's why I see that we need to be studying all of the attributes of God to keep it in balance so that we don't become, you know, liberal Protestants and all ooey-gooey and sentimental when it comes to God's love. So I stumbled across a quote from John Owen, who is esteemed as probably the most earnest of Puritans. <laughs> so whatever, whatever your image of a Puritan is, he was the sternest of all. He was the deepest of all of the great Puritans. And John Owen's, I'm going to have to paraphrase because I didn't actually bring the quote with me. It said something like, knowing the, ready for this? or having a passionate love for God. Now, he didn't mean it in a romantic, gloppy way, but to have all of your passions desiring and straining to know the love of God and loving him more is an act of the head and an act of the will. And he's exactly right that you've got to learn. You've got to know that that the teaching about God must inform our emotions. In other words, the brain comes before the heart, because if your heart is leading the way, well, then you're going to become NAR. But when your brain is informing your heart, then it is the will that must focus on what the brain has amassed and implement it. That is why I thought it was such a helpful quote. You want to, you want to know the love of God, then you're will, you've got to force yourself. You've got to take the time. You've got to meditate on this. Now, having said that, if we just focus on that one attribute, we're, we're, we're going to become we're going to become like a fig Newton. That's right. That's that's the song that came to my brain. Chewy, gooey, rich and dewy inside. That's what we're going to be. Just tender, flaky, golden, cakey outside. We're going to be a Fig Newton. Trust me. 
you don't want to be a Fig Newton. I don't know why you should trust me on this. We want to be theologians who are affected by what is gathered and amassing in our noodles. If it just stays there, most likely all it can do is puff us up. Just knowing stuff about God is not the aim and goal of the Christian faith. Now, here's the ditch, of course. Somebody will take that and go, so you don't want to talk about theology at all. That's not at all what I'm saying. We want to talk about theology so that it doesn't turn us into Protestant squish bombs, but we don't want it to turn us into the frozen chosen, do we? Although, I think there's some of us, and I can feel this propensity on occasion, that kind of like that moniker. I've actually heard the frozen chosen joke told. Like, yeah, it's true. Almost like a brag. You get to heaven, who are the people on the other side of the wall, Peter? They're the Presbyterians. They don't think anybody else is here. And they don't laugh at it. <laughs> you can substitute Lutheran, whatever, whatever you want. Let us not become Fig Newtons, but let's not become ice cubes either who are puffed up and who look down on anyone who doesn't have the theological precision that God has provided for us. The Forgotten Attributes of God by Dr. Peter Sammons. And I'm not just correcting the title of this because I'm still bitter about his He's been listening to us since high school. Crack. But because inside of the introduction, he encourages the using a synonym for attributes that's better. Attributes, his, his, his identifying of the word attribute being something that we ascribe to God, and that's biblical. We do give him, we ascribe to him glory and honor. But the word, when it comes to his attributes, that we attribute something to him, is different than using the word perfections, which is a mere description of his character and nature. And so he is going to use the words interchangeably. But I also think, even though it's a, a small corrective, perhaps, I think it is an important one. When we study the attributes of God, we have to realize we are literally walking on holy ground. We are talking about God and his essence, and and how he exists. I don't want to say put together because that's just, <laughs> that could actually border on heresy because he's not put together. And we don't give him something. Oh, it looks like he's nice. So we'll attribute niceness to his character. No, his character is goodness. He is perfect in his being. And so we will call these forgotten attributes the forgotten perfections of God. Courtesy of Dr. Peter Sammons, next on Wretched Radio. You're familiar with this sound. You're sitting in church. Your pastor is preaching. You have your John MacArthur Study Bible open. The pastor is reading the scripture, and all of a sudden you hear... Everybody in church turning the page because they all have the same MacArthur Study Bible. Why? Because it is so helpful to be able to read study notes underneath the verses to really grasp what God's Word is trying to teach. How would you 
like to share the joy of putting a John MacArthur Study Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines, they typically make about $12 to $15 per, not hour, per day. It's a luxury item, and it would be such a blessing, $25 a Bible, four Bibles, $100, or perhaps you could send a Bible to a brother or sister in the Philippines every single month. Would you please consider doing that to bring joy to our brothers and sisters? Wretched.org slash Bible. Have you ever wanted to understand your Bible just a little bit better? Well, that's the promise that we're going to make with the Read Your Bible Better Bundle. It's available right now at wretched.org through the end of this month. First up in the bundle, you're going to find Herman Who. If you've ever struggled with interpreting the Bible in the correct fashion, you know, grammatically and historically, well, then Herman Who is for you. Also in the bundle, you're going to find It's Not Greek to Me. So when you nod along with your pastor during church, you'll know exactly why you're nodding along. Then there's Drive-By Theology. No more confusion. No more uncertainty. You'll know exactly what you believe and why you believe it. And then Jesus Unmasked is also included. With Jesus Unmasked, you'll start to see the Bible as a cohesive book about one subject, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oh, and did I mention along with all of these resources, you're also going to get their study guides. It's the Read Your Bible Better Bundle, and it's only available right now at wretched.org through the end of the month. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 1854. Charles Haddon Spurgeon becomes pastor in London and will go on to become one of the most influential pastors ever. He was the central figure in defending the gospel against compromise during the downgrade controversy. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. It's okay. Good to be fine. This is Wretched Radio, not still stinging, from one Dr. Peter Sammons who's now a doctor, a theologian at the Master Seminary, who's been listening to Wretched Radio since he was in high school. Jimmy, that should make you feel old, dude. His latest book, The Forgotten Attributes, oops, I'm sorry, The Forgotten Perfections of God, God's Nature and Why It Matters. He uses some Latin, and Jimmy, this is this is a revelation at just how easy Latin is and how dumb I is. Because I studied it and it was like, ding, bing, <laughs> just ricocheted off of my head. And it's just not that hard, is it? Via negativa. Can you figure out? Via, V-I-A, negativa. Can you figure that out, Jimmy? You're just doing that to make me feel better now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I am. 
via would be way. Uh-huh. And you hear the word negative. Right. The negative way. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That is a Latin phrase that he uses to describe how we describe God. We can do it negatively. In other words, instead of saying God's infinite, we say he's not finite. Instead of saying he's immutable, we would say he's not changing, not corruptible, not subject to passions, not capable of sinning. And then you've got yourself the via eminentii, which is the way of eminence. You can hear it. Latin isn't that hard, which is typically why if you received a classical education, you know that Latin always came first. It's the baby dead language. (laughs) It's the language that is really the easiest because it's so structured, so basic. Yeah, it has some exceptions. Well, it's got a fair amount of them, but nowhere near the number that Greek has. And when it comes to Hebrew, well, basically the Hebrew language is a lot of grunts and ticks that have no similarity to anything that we say in English. What is the via eminentii? It's the way of eminence. When we describe by God by elevating perceived qualities to the infinite degree, to perfection, he's all-knowing, he's all-good, he's all-present everywhere. So you can choose interchangeably which way to do it, but these terms in Latin can be a little bit helpful in getting it right, because it's important that we get it right. Furthermore, you can divide God's attributes into another set of categories, communicable and incommunicable. Communicable, meaning we get them in part. We human beings, his image bears. Well, for instance, we communicate because he does. We just don't do it as well. We have creativity, but not nearly the amount that God has. We think because he thinks, but we isn't as smart as he are. We have communicated attributes to a lesser degree, but then you got yourself some incommunicable attributes. There is nothing analogous inside of us. So these would be things like incomprehensibility, immutability, pure actuality, aseity, simplicity, that God is just different. We, 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 we just can't get our brains around him. And that's because he's ultimately incomprehensible. It doesn't mean that we can't know what we can know, but we just can't get our brains around this. For instance, attribute number one, spirituality. Have you taken any time to consider that God is spirit? Yes, Jesus has a body because he took on flesh. He ascended into heaven, the first fruits of the resurrection because we're going to have a body forever too. But God in the Bible is described as spirit. Jeus said it in John 4:24, 1 Timothy 1:17. If he weren't a spirit, he couldn't be infinite because he'd be contained to a particular piece of ground or if he's flying in the air, but he couldn't be everywhere. That's just basic science. God's essence is incomparable to anything in creation. He's not lacking anything, but it's he's perfect in his form, in his existence. To explain the quality another way, God does not have molecular structure. None of the properties of the material world can be used to describe him. It's not simply that God is made up of a chemical element 
that has not yet been identified by the periodic table. Rather, God has no atomic or chemical structure whatsoever. Now, that's fascinating. Good information. But is that all it is? We have to use our wills. We have to use our knowledge to then move it to heart, which then trickles down to the hands and feet. So when you read about God being like nothing else, nothing else, it should give you a little awe, shouldn't it? And then when you realize he's so otherly and yet he's mindful of me, whoa. Some theologians refer to God's spirituality as his incorpor he ain't got a body. This, they mean, God has no body, no physical presence. He's not a composite being like we are, made of components that can be divided into parts like flesh and blood. He's not a mixture. He's simple. He just is. That's why his name, I am what I am. Being pure spirit, he does not have the characteristics of size or dimensions. He can't grow or shrink. He can't decay or deteriorate. This, this is why he's immutable. He can't change. If he were like us, we, we change. But he's not like us. He doesn't change. He's not like air or vapor because those are made up of chemicals like oxygen and nitrogen. At least that's what it says in this book by Peter Sammons because I wasn't paying in a tension in chemistry class <clears throat> ever. Neither should we think of God as light or energy because he created those things. Yes, Jesus called himself the light of the world. It was an illustration. It was a proclamation of his divinity. But Jesus isn't a created being. God isn't a created being. But light is a created thing. So we want to be careful that we don't think that God is, his nature is light. It's not. He uses the features of man to describe his own nature. These are anthropomorphisms. And so when you see God's hand, his mighty arm, he doesn't have a hand or arm. He's a spirit. Here's another word that's, that's more helpful for us, perhaps. And that is when God uses words to describe his emotions. An anthropopathism, instead of an anthropomorphism, an anthropopathism, pathism rather, that it that there's words, there's terms that describe God's sentiments, if you will. Although I think Peter would probably say, don't, don't use that language because he doesn't have passions the way that we do. I agree. He doesn't have passions the way that we do. I'll tell you about that chapter when we get there. Romans 11.33, his ways are unfathomable, which is why we realize that God has the attribute of incomprehensibility. It doesn't mean he's unknowable. It just means there's a distinction between us and him. We have an apprehensive knowledge and a comprehensive knowledge. There's a difference. We can apprehend some things about God, but we can't comprehend him. We, we can't get our brain. If we could, we'd be like him. Augustine or Augustine, depending on if you live in Florida, we're speaking of God. Is it any wonder if you do not comprehend? For if you comprehend, it is not God you comprehend. <laughs> That's actually funny for an old dead guy. Let it be a pious confession of ignorance rather than a rash profession of knowledge. 
to attain some slight knowledge of God is a great blessing. To comprehend him, totally impossible. And yet, God reveals himself. Now, this is from Peter Salmon's book, The Forgotten Attributes of God. This truth should stop us from making inappropriate comparisons between anything in creation and God. Doesn't mean that it can't be done. Well, we better be careful because God isn't like anything. He's just totally different. He's not like a computer. Uh, Okay, you can kind of understand. Okay, so the wiring and all that. Well, God doesn't have wiring. He doesn't have a hard drive or whatever the software thingamajig is. Not like a computer ain't nothing like God. Now, it can help us to apprehend to a degree, but it can't help us comprehend because there are no genuinely spot-on comparisons to God. So we want to watch out for them. We can use them just carefully. What do we do? We leave it to Scripture to condescend to us with a knowledge of God rather than trying to conjure up all our own illustrations to understand God. So if the pastor starts out, you know, I was thinking God's sort of like, you better put your radar on high alert. It can be done. It just needs to be done carefully. And so it is as we go about the business of studying the perfections of God. Let us be in awe. (laughs) Let us feel puny. But don't let it stop there. This is the God who condescends. This infinite being stuffed himself into finite flesh to walk among us, to live on our behalf, to die in our place. Let us not forget this incomprehensible God still knows and loves us. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. In a landmark move, the Supreme Court of Pakistan has ordered the government to respond to a petition targeting forced conversions in marriages of minority girls. This overturns a previous ruling by the Lahore High Court that involves a 13-year-old Christian girl who was kidnapped and forcibly converted to Islam. It's a serious development and one that's a little bit surprising coming out of Pakistan. But as always, please continue praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. Switching continents, but not topics, we head to Kaduna State in Nigeria. Just two days after Baptist pastor was gunned down, two Christian brothers were kidnapped from their community in Wasasa. Now, Nigeria's government would be the first to say they're not allowing religious persecution, but the evidence here, like leading the world in Christians killed for their faith, suggests a little bit otherwise, don't you think? Again, continue praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world. Moving on to sports, Riley Gaines is making headlines right at the moment for taking on White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. Gaines criticized Jean-Pierre for dodging a question about transgender athletes in women's sports. According to the press secretary, it's a complicated issue. I mean, biology was pretty complicated when I was in high school, but not this part of it. Not this part of it at all. And speaking of education, a school counselor has said that she believes kids can know that they're born in the wrong body. Interestingly, though, she acknowledges that children are naive and easily influenced by adults. (laughs) That's what you call ironic. 
Next up, an elementary school in California thought it would be a brilliant idea to hold a social event exclusively for um, minority students, thereby excluding white children. It's an initiative from the school's Equity and Inclusion Committee. <laughs> so, equity and inclusion means excluding? Yeah. In the world we live in today, it most certainly does. And lastly, Natalie Benoit, an Ontario Catholic School Board trustee, found herself in some hot water for daring to oppose the flying of the LGBT pride in schools. Benoit argued that such symbols could be divisive, and for that audacious, ridiculous, and crazy thought, she's facing multiple complaints and even an investigation for violating an election finance law. Despite all of that, Benoit says she remains committed to traditional marriage and her faith. Good for her. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. It is not certain who the human author of the book of Hebrews was. However, it is certain that the ultimate author is the Holy Spirit. The message of Hebrews is an exhortation to faith in Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. When you want to see how God foreshadowed and fulfilled the gospel in the Old Testament, look to Hebrews. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Take it away. Handsome Jimmy. What? What are we taking? Where are we taking it? You're doing what you do. I'm or do- did. <laughs> Is this Granger Smith? Singing happens like that. Yes. Order a drink. Uh-huh. <laughs> we could be a morning team on country radio. We certainly could. No, we couldn't. This is shit radio. <laughs> we would there do. isn't anybody who would tune in and go, What's that Yankee doing on my morning radio? <laughs> Ranger Smith. Jimmy, you're a country music guy. How big is this fellow in country music? He's pretty big. He's I, I looking at his he's on his last tour. And I thought, well, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not a country music guy myself. I don't hate it. I'm just not a follower of it. This dude fills up stadiums. Mm. He's a big deal. And guess what he's doing? He's laying down his guitar to go into ministry. Why would he do such a thing? About five years ago, his four-year-old son died in their backyard swimming pool. Go ahead. I dare you. Name a bigger tragedy than that. And it set him on a trajectory of priority consideration. And he determined, uh, I've, I've done what I need to do in country music. I'm going to go to seminary and become a pastor. Now, there is much that we can learn from this fellow, starting with, yay, very cool, dude. And we applaud it. And we look forward to the fruit that this man's studies will bear, considering the platform that he has. God can use that mightily. But be careful. Don't think that he went from a secular to a sacred profession, that he went from an earthly thing to a heavenly, from a physical to a spiritual realm. No, not for the Christian. He was a minister in country music. You are a minister at the grocery store or as an Uber driver or as an architect. Whatever you are, don't make the platonic distinction between spiritual, religious, moral, and physical reality. We can do that so easily, can't we? Oh, he's going to become a pastor. Now, 
want to be careful even as I say that because that office, whoa, that is a sobering endeavor you are embarking on. It's a big deal. And it has an awful lot of higher considerations for you in that particular office than for the rest of us. But that doesn't mean that somehow that is the only sacred office that there is. Because there is no secular sacred distinction for the Christian. Our entire life is supposed to be about the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what you do. That's one lesson. But I think that there's another really big lesson from one Granger Smith. Seems like a nice fellow. Jimmy, you looked up his church. It uh, looks sound as it can be. Extremely solid. That doesn't surprise me. I was reading the article, and, and the guy was... He was he was talking like, huh? He sounds a little different than a lot of the celebrity converts we hear about. He wasn't talking about fire or the anointing from the flowing of the ocean of the heaven pouring out and loving him with God's warm embrace. He was talking about serving in his local church, learning from his local pastor. So then, when I got to finally page three or four on the Fox News story. It said that he's going to go to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Ah, there it is. So he's off to a good place. And it looks like he's from a good church. And it looks like he will do good ministry once he graduates. Good luck with the Hebrew, Granger. And this fellow is now moving into a different sort of ministry and you and I might be inclined to see that and go, oh, wow, look at the good thing that came out of that tragic event. Now, let's be careful. There's nothing wrong with seeing that. There's nothing wrong with identifying, wow, that was really hard. That season of my life was a super big challenge, but God used that and here it is. There's nothing wrong. In fact, we should be doing that, shouldn't we? Joseph identified what man intended for evil, God intended for good. So we rightly identify the good stuff that God squeezes out of a tragedy. But as Tim Challies, in his very thoughtful book about the death of his son, wow, how providential is this? He actually, his young son died at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in front of his girlfriend, in front of his fiance, and in front of his sister. Talk about tragic, going through seasons of sorrow, which is the title of Tim's book. And when I read his book, read his blogs and interviewed him, he said something that's a little bit hard, but I think it's important. He said, while I want to identify the good things that have, have come out of this, for instance, it, it has changed him, it, it, how he is more pastoral, how he can be more thoughtful in responding to people and other good fruits. While he's seen those, he said, I don't want to use those fruits to justify the death of his son, Nick. As if now we get God released from responsibility of a tragedy. He's now off the hook of a bad thing because look, something good came out of this. So we need to find that balance. You, you can see, you should see the good stuff that God will indeed work out of bad things. But please note what God ordains is always good. 
the event itself, while tragic and traumatic, you can't, well, none of us can imagine unless we've lost a child. Don't try to find a way to get God released from the awful event because, well, we 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 don't want God's integrity be integrity to be impugned, and that's right. But it's not impugned when we understand that God ordains everything, and He, even though He ordains evil because it is good for us, He's not culpable for the evil. This takes us to Dr. Peter Salmon's book, Reprobation in the Sovereignty of God. That God is the ultimate cause of everything, but there are proximate causes. Think of this in, in kind of a hierarchy th that on top you've got God. He's ordaining every, I mean, everything. I, as I, as I, this, I've got a red solo cup. I got it out, Jimmy, just for the, for the Granger Smith music here. <laughs> was he good, the Granger Smith? He was. He is. He is. <laughs> That's noise. Then she walks in and I never danced. Turns a tip in the band and taking her hand. Oh. Okay. Um, Jimmy, yeah, that was like seven seconds. I heard nothing about a dirt road in the country. <laughs> Just keep listening. Maybe not that song. <laughs> All right, he's in a cornfield, so that's acceptable country music. <laughs> God is the ultimate cause of everything. So he sits on top of all things, including keeping the, the, the chemicals exactly what they should be doing in the exact place they should be to contain my water without it spilling out all over the, he's ordaining that he's running everything, but there are approximate causes for bad stuff. Approximate cause could be, well, the devil consider Job. It could be a bad teaching, a, a human worldview that has taken root and is now going to be bearing bad fruit. God permitted that. He allowed for that. To, he ordained for that to happen, but he's not responsible for what those things do. And then, and now sometimes the proximate cause can be the efficient cause. You've got yourself the efficient cause, the one who actually does it. Therefore, there are, let's just say, degrees of separation between the evil that somebody does or even the evil that just happens and God. So we can't blame him. We can't slander him. And we don't need to get him off of the hook by saying, well, at least some good came from it. First of all, that actually impugns his character. Second of all, it's really potentially hurtful and harmful and dangerous. What if you can't see something good? What if you can't say, well, this is because of that? You had a horrible stepfather. I'm being autobiographical at the moment. You had a, okay. So, so what good came from that? Ooh, I, mm, I, mm. So am I supposed to get mad at God because nothing good came from the evil stepfather? No, can't do that. If you've gone through something difficult, please note, nobody would expect you to not have emotions. It looks like it took this, this young man a number of years to get it sorted. That, that, in fact, initially he dealt with his traumatic event by going to muddy water, alcohol, the devil's lettuce. Uh, and it, it, it doesn't take care of the problem. It doesn't remove the problem. 
and he had to grieve his way through that. And you should too. But as you do, never forget that whatever the trouble, whatever the evil is, is not because God hates you. He's mad at you. He's punishing you for his sins. What God ordains is always good. And that means even the difficult things that happen in our lives. Mourn, be sad, consider God's character and nature, and you will heal. This is Wretched Radio. Busy, busy, busy. Last year, Preborn Ministries provided over 92,000 ultrasounds, 54,000 babies were saved, 69 ultrasound machines were placed, 10,000 people responded to the gospel. Preborn Ministries, very busy, saving babies, saving souls. Would you please consider partnering with Preborn Ministries? $28 per ultrasound, five ultrasounds, $140. Yes, they are expensive, but they save lives. And Preborn Ministries uses good equipment with trained specialists, which is why the success rates are so staggeringly high at saving lives with preborn. Please consider supporting preborn at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. And we also thank you, our friends who have ventured through the aisles, the digital aisles of wretched.org. You're not just buying a book or a video, you're actually investing in truth, wisdom, and the kingdom of God. But listen, why stop at the checkout? How about joining us as an ongoing monthly gospel partner? Because it's a way to go deeper and to become part of something more than just a simple store transaction. It's about standing firm in the faith, reaching millions of people all over the world. But we need your help to do that. The gospel isn't something we just consume. It's something that we share and we need your help sharing it together. There's no sales pitch here. This is just an honest invitation to become a part of a mission that's changing lives all over the world. All of the details on how you do just that is at wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. I know how you're feeling at the thought of switching from traditional health insurance to MediShare, which is affordable biblical health sharing. That's a big decision, and it can be kind of scary, which is why Mrs. Freel and I researched MediShare and determined, yeah, we can trust this ministry. Christians paying for the health needs of other Christians. It's a magnificent ministry. 98% member satisfaction rate. It's amazing. The average family saves $500 per month. If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Attributes of God. What does God's patience look like? 
Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is not hurried, nor has he forgotten his promises. God will bring about the fulfillment of his eternal plan in due time. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Well, there's more where that came from. This is Wretched Radio. As long as we're talking about country celebrities that have become Christians, I don't know when the fellow got saved, to be honest, but it sure seems like he is the Granger Smith. That'll be fun to watch that trajectory. That will be very fun to see where that goes. And you can't help but think he's on a good path because of a local church. Alistair, Alistair, (laughs) Alistair Cooper. I almost bred Alistair Began Alice Cooper is what I did right there. Although I think they both play golf together. So the talk show host isn't wrong. Alice Cooper had the audacity to say that when you're born with particular body parts, that's because that's what you are. And he doesn't think it's good that children should be making decisions, especially when influenced by their parents, to reconsider their gender. And what did he get for what should be obvious to everyone? He lost a sponsor. Apparently, it signed a contract, a big deal, with a vampire, V-A-M-P-Y-R-E, vampire cosmetics company. They said, we can't tolerate that kind of talk from Alice Cooper. So they booted him. (laughs) What do we learn from the, there's a certain name for that type of rock and roll that the Alice Cooper does. uh, What do they call it? Like when it's like kind of bloody and guillotine and <laughs> man um there, there's a particular name for it you'd know it if it were country music i would know it if it were but whatever that style is he's not protected from progressivism but no matter if if he were at the top of the entertainment heap and he said such a thing even if he were making a lot of money for a, for a company they're going to ax him they have to because of the societal pressure these days. And this is a perhaps lesson. And dare I say warning, if you think that capitulation is going to get you off the hook, when progressives who are bent on getting to the bottom of the moral barrel, a la Romans chapter one, they're not going to tolerate you. These, These pastors that are trying to avoid the subject, it won't make any difference these days. There is zero discrimination when it comes to being angry at any restraint, especially the restraint of Christianity, which is esteemed as the West Plague. Although I have to tell you, I was reading, reading another celebrity, Dennis Prager. And Dennis Prager, rightly, sometimes Dennis just very good stuff, Dennis. Very, very good. Said, go ahead, name a place better than the West. Go ahead. What, point it out. And how do you think that it got here? What do you think were the values that drove it to produce this type of fruit? And he's right in that rhetorical question. Having said that, um, his observation as to the most important liberty Okay, I guess I wouldn't make a huge deal out of this, but it is a reminder the way that Dennis views reality, morality, and religion. 
even though some of his political observations are just bang on brilliant. Uh, Jimmy, if you had to pick from the Constitution, what is the most important liberty? What would you say it is? Think First Amendment of the Constitution. Uh, Correct. Freedom of religion. <laughs> Dennis, Dennis Prager says, no, it's freedom of speech. I, I don't think that I would point a finger and call somebody a knucklehead for that. But it is an interesting conversation, isn't it? What is the most important freedom? He argues, and he misuses the New Testament in doing so, that it is freedom of speech. Because if you don't have freedom of speech, then you can't communicate your ideas. But if you don't have freedom of religion, then you're not going to have free speech. You, you won't have. So you can have free. You cut down religion and it will not be long before speech goes kafritz. Because when a religion speaks against the grain of whoever the totalitarians, totalitarians are that are in charge, they're going to be Alice Coopered. They're going to be shut down. Here's what Dennis Prager said. The most important freedom, in my opinion, and not everyone will agree, is free speech. If I don't have free speech, I'm an animal. Well, okay. I adore religious freedom, but religious freedom without free speech, what does it mean? In the Soviet Union, you can go to church, but you have no freedom to espouse what you believe. Well, that's the distinction between freedom of religion and freedom of worship. And he should know that. Hillary Clinton, I think, was the first one to try to import that little word switcheroo when she said, we believe in freedom of worship in America. No, we don't. It's freedom of religion, which means you can talk about it. So freedom of religion does allow you to say whatever you want to say. And without freedom of religion, you will not have free speech, in my opinion. So he says free speech is the number one freedom and any suppression of it is guaranteed a road to tyranny. Most people don't care much about that. I sanitize that. The willingness of half of the American people to suppress speech in the name of health, in the name of the environment, of progressive causes, is the saddest development of my long life. Um, yeah, those are, those are bad things. I, they're, they're troubling things. But as a Christian, we see those as fruit. That isn't root. There's something far deeper going on. We know that. He said, I had more faith in the American people five years ago than I do today. Without free speech, it's not possible to arrive at the truth. Here it comes. And the root of all evil is lies. If truth is the antidote, then the truth will set you free. Well, uh, Dennis, that's actually Jesus' words that you're quoting there. <laughs> if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. If you continue in my word, John 8, 31 and 32, then are you my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is the truth that sets you free? Contextually, it is not science, math, rating, statistics of a baseball team. It's the truth about God. That's why the founding fathers, I think, had it nailed when they put freedom of religion first. Now, Dennis does something. In this particular article that I'm reading from the Christian Post, I'll read it, and then I'll then I'll let you sort it. This is this is what Dennis said. Half of the American people get it. The problem with the other half is that they don't fight. Most people don't fight because it takes courage to fight, and courage is rather 
And courage is rarer than the Stanley Cup. It's a very rare trait in the human condition, tragically. So what is Dennis? Is encouragement with everything that he's observing that's really bad these days? Fight. All right. I'm looking for what that means. The road to courage is not actually complex, Prager added. You're courageous if you want to be courageous. All it takes is a decision. I will be courageous. If you believe in God and you're not courageous, I don't understand what your belief in God does for you. I'm waiting to tell us how to fight. You've gotten me whipped up. I'm stirred and agitated. And I'm going to fight. Jimmy, where, where's the ring? Where do I go do this fighting? How do I do <laughs> Oh, here it is. He finally gets to it. Every single pastor, priest, and rabbi in Los Angeles should tell people not to go to Dodger games. It's very simple. Oh, all righty then. There you have it. That's going to win the culture war. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't go to a baseball game where they're doing perverted things and celebrating sin, but that's hardly going to do anything. And what happens as we continue to read stat after stat where Christendom is shrinking, shrinking, shrinking in America when there's four people boycott the Dodger game? Is that going to fix anything? Furthermore, is it going to fix the ideologues eternity who download these disgusting morals? Is it going to save the soul of the owner of the Dodgers, the umpires, the managers, the players, 50,000 people in the stands? I get it. I get it. We hate what we see. We don't like what is going on in our culture. I understand. But Alice Cooper might be very helpful. If you think that we are somehow going to, at this point, win this morality war and be allowed to have free speech. Alice Cooper clearly ain't allowed to have free speech. But I do know if vampire cosmetics were Christian, well, they probably wouldn't be vampire cosmetics. But the point <laughs> is, they wouldn't be shutting him down. Uh, I'm not saying surrender, throw in the white flag, but I think we need to remember what the battle actually is here. It's not a battle of freedom of speech. It's not even a battle of freedom of religion, dare I say, as much as I think that that is the priority liberty that we should be most interested in sustaining. It's a spiritual battle. That's what we're seeing in front of us. It's never been more obvious. And if we think that, that somehow... These little victories that we see where we get to do something that we they said you couldn't do and we sell or a court victory. Look, I'm a, we, we talk about those things here. I'm happy for those things. We're glad for those things. When the righteous are in power, the people rejoice and we do. But let's not take our eye off the prize. This ain't about freedom of speech. It ain't about freedom of religion. It is about God. He is the battle, and that is why our response to fight is to go and make disciples. And until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>